Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, live from the 101st American Farm Bureau Federation Convention and Trade Show in Austin, Texas. We're awfully glad you're here. On this first episode of a two-part series, we'll have excerpts from President Trump's address to convention attendees and a response from Minnesota Farm Bureau President Kevin Papp. We'll also talk with American Farm Bureau Federation Vice President Scott Vanderwall about some of the latest developments in ag. We'll also speak with Texas Department of Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller about some of the exciting things going on in Texas agriculture. Finally, we'll take you back to Hank Snow's iconic Rainbow Ranch in Madison, Tennessee for one of the brightest emerging stars in all of country music, Claire Dunn. You won't want to miss a moment of it. Let's go. First up this week, we want to dedicate this show to the memory of Bonnie Duvall, the wife of American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall. Bonnie passed away January 18th after a courageous battle with cancer. She was remembered during the opening general session of the convention here in Austin on January 19th with a moving tribute. Our thoughts and prayers are with President Duvall and his family. As Bonnie would have wanted, the event she loved so dearly went on in Austin, Texas as planned, punctuated by a January 19th visit by President Donald Trump. He spoke for about 45 minutes, covering everything from China and USMCA to a desire to improve the process to bring legally documented workers into the United States from foreign countries to address the farm labor shortage. To begin the program this week, we wanted to bring you some of the highlights from the president's address. We did it. We did it. Remember? They're all saying, you'll never get NAFTA changed. We were stuck with one of the worst trade deals in history. We'll never do it. We'll never get a deal done with China. I've told everybody, you got to buy a lot of land and you got to get much bigger tractors right now because we did a great deal with China, great for our country. And hopefully it's great for China, too, because we're going to sell them the greatest product you've ever seen, right? The greatest product you've ever seen. The president also reiterated his administration's commitment to watching out for the best interests of American farmers and ranchers and touted a reported high approval rate among the group. My administration is fighting for the American farmer, and it's been fighting for the farmer and the rancher every single day. And together we've achieved something truly stunning. And really, it was a historic number of victories, not one. We had Numerous victories, a lot of them just that sort of all came together. What good timing. I said, let's see if we can get it done for this event. Most presidents don't come, and when they do, they come once. This is my third time in a row, and I promise I'll be here next year, too. We'll be here next year. In fact, a poll just came out, Wall Street Journal. Just came out, look at this. Farmer approval of Trump hits record, poll shows. 83% of the farmers and ranchers approve of the president's job performance. 83%. But I want to know, really, who are the 17%? Who are they? Who the hell are the 17%? Anybody in here from the 17%? Don't raise your hand. It may be dangerous. That's pretty good, right? The president then moved into talking about the Phase 1 China deal, in which China agreed to crack down on intellectual property infringements and spent $200 billion to help narrow a trade imbalance with the United States, including 40 to $50 billion in agricultural purchases. But on Wednesday, after two years of hard-fought negotiations where the farmers and ranchers stood with me all the way, they knew we had to do it. It wasn't done by other administrations. They didn't want to do it because it was nasty. We signed a groundbreaking trade agreement with China. Under this landmark agreement, China will now be purchasing 40 to $50 billion of American agricultural products every single year, tripling our agricultural exports to China. You know, we had a deal. It was done at 20. 20 billion. The most they ever purchased, according to Sonny Perdue. I said, Sonny, we have to help the farmer because they were targeted. 
And I'm not saying I blame China. You know, they want to win. We want to win. We all want to win, right? We like to win. Trump then went on to talk about the Senate passage of USMCA, the long-anticipated trade agreement between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. But on Thursday of this week, we made a really historic, once again, the Senate passed because this is in addition to China, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement to replace the catastrophe, the disaster known as NAFTA. I've been complaining about it for many years. Our jobs left, our factories closed, our companies left, opened up. They made product, they sold it into the United States. No tax, no nothing. We have just the opposite right now. It's very painful if they want to do that. It's very hard for them to do that economically. The USMCA, as we call it, will massively boost exports for farmers, ranchers, growers, and agricultural producers from north to south and from sea to shining sea. It also has tremendous impacts on manufacturers and all of the other things. Good for everybody, but we won't bother. We only care about the farmers today or the ranchers, right? So we don't have to talk about the manufacturers. But it's fantastic for manufacturing and lots of other things. And our manufacturing numbers are fantastic. You see that. Remember? Manufacturing, Phil? You remember? There's no more manufacturing. And then we have almost 600,000 jobs. They said, blast administration. You'd need a magic wand to bring back manufacturing. So I guess we found the magic wand. We found the magic wand. Trump then took the time to offer a pep talk of sorts to farmers and ranchers attending the convention. If we want America to thrive and grow, then we must ensure that America's farms flourish and prosper. And that's what we're doing. You feed our people. You fuel our nation. You sustain our land. You uphold our values. And you preserve our cherished American way of life. We want our products made, grown, and raised right here in the USA, and that's what's happening. I hope you all remember that before I took office, American agriculture was being crushed by an onslaught of massive taxes, crippling regulations, burdensome federal mandates. You know about that. I released it. I released it all and horrendous trade deals, and they were horrendous indeed. I actually used to say, who the hell would have negotiated a deal like this? When I ran for president, I vowed to use every power at my disposal to protect American farmers and restore the full strength of American agriculture. I promised that I would always have your back and unlike the politicians who came before me, they talked a lot, they did nothing for you. I kept my promise. <laughs> Under the previous administration, net farm income plummeted by more than 20%. Under my administration, and remember, these trade deals haven't even really kicked in yet. I told China a couple of months ago, do me a favor, we're going to make a deal. Start buying. Start buying. And they did. Not as much as I wanted, but they did. They wanted to wait till they got the signed agreement. Now we have the signed agreement. But they started buying. But it's also Japan. It's also other countries. But net farm income has gone up by more than $30 billion, an increase of nearly 50% in just three years. Remember that. And the big stuff is yet to come. We are fixing problems and cleaning up messes that others have neglected for decades. They've treated you very unfairly. They've treated you very foolishly. Frankly, they've treated you stupidly, stupidly, to put our great farmers in this position. We are winning for our farmers, and we are winning like never before. And don't forget, when I ran, I said, we're going to do this stuff. We're going to do it. But it was just words. We're going to do it. Everybody said we're going to do things. But I did it. We got it done. And this is the time. I couldn't say it last year. Last year, I said, hey, you know, you were being targeted by China, in all fairness. You were being targeted. They stopped buying purposely. Then I put the big tariffs on. Then I gave you a lot of the money out of the tariffs. We had a lot of money left over. But we gave you, Sonny told you, $16 billion and $12 billion the year before. And that made you do very well. But, you know, the farmers came to me and they said, we don't want anything. We just want a level playing field. And you have now even more than a level playing field. The deal with China 
We'll tear down market barriers and pry open vast new markets for American beef, pork, poultry, seafood, soybeans, rice, dairy, infant formula, animal feed, biotechnology, and much, much more. This is an incredible success for our entire country, and it was your fortitude, your perseverance, and your devotion that made it all possible. And I have to tell you another benefit, and a very big benefit, is we now perhaps have the best relationship that we've had with China in many, many years, and China respects us now. They didn't respect us. They couldn't believe they were getting away with what they were getting away with. For years, China stole trade secrets from American agribusinesses and plundered our intellectual property, illicitly subsidized grain procedures, and installed one barrier after another to block out our farmers and to block out our ranchers. When my administration confronted these abusive and destructive trade practices, China targeted American agriculture for retaliation. They even took ads saying what a bad person I was. But the farmers, only some of them believe that. And those people have come all the way back, too. To defend our farmers, I authorized $28 billion. And we're getting that money, Sonny, to the small farmers also. There were some statements, big farmers know. We get them to the small farmers, we get them to everybody. Big farmers, small farmers, and we have a formula that I think has been working out, Sonny, very well. If it's not, call me directly, and I'll call Sonny and give him hell, okay? And I am delighted to report that the final installment of all of those billions of dollars of that money will be coming very quickly, Sonny, I guess. Is that a correct statement? Yes? Thanks. You never back down. Unless you don't want it, because you're making so much money now. If anybody would like to give it up, please raise your hand. You stayed in the fight. You protected our economy and our security. And together, we all together, we prevailed. You were always with me. You never even thought of giving up. And we got it done. And there were times when, you know, the, the media was trying to cause trouble. They'd come into Iowa. Isn't it terrible with the practices and the trade? And, and the farmers would say, no, the president's doing the right thing. It's tough, but the president's doing the right thing. But then we started doing the big tariffs, taking in literally tens of billions of dollars, and we started giving money back. I went to Sonny Perdue. I said, Sonny, what did China, what was the number that China did last year? He said, sir, they bought $16 billion. I said, oh, that's good. What did they do the year before? Sir, they bought $12 billion worth of product. I said, good. So it's $12 billion. We gave you the $12 billion. Then the $16 billion, we gave you the $16 billion, so you weren't hurt. And now we have a position that I don't think the farmers and ranchers have been in this position maybe ever. I don't think so. And I think it's going to work out good. And I think China is going to go all out to prove that the agreement that was signed is a good agreement. And we have very, very strong stipulations in there, but that it's a, a, an agreement that is a fair agreement and good for the farmer. I think they're looking to prove that it's going to be great for the farmer. One of the big questions surrounding the phase one deal with China is its enforceability. Trump addressed that point during his speech to the group. Most important of all, the deal is enforceable, very, very powerfully enforceable. In fact, it was probably the thing that we negotiated the most. And rest assured, we will vigorously enforce its terms. Hopefully, we won't have to. Hopefully, it'll go just as we anticipate. Trump then doubled back to speak more about the USMCA agreement and the impact it will have on American agriculture. In a matter of days, we will achieve another tremendous victory for the American agricultural businesses when I signed the USMCA into law. So we just passed it in the Senate, and it was a wonderful vote. And I sign it very soon. It's being prepared now, beautifully prepared. I'm going to Europe to talk to world leaders and to talk to business people about coming. Everybody wants to come back to America. Everybody wants to come back to the United States. We're now where the action is. They're all coming back. And when I come back, we'll have a ceremony probably in the White House. We also may go to some of the farming communities, and we're going to sign the deal. Under the USMCA, Canada will finally provide greater access for American dairy. You know, Canada was charging us 287% tariffs. Nobody knew that. 
Nobody knew that. I knew it. So you basically couldn't even deal with Canada. But those days are gone. Our dairy exports are set to increase by more than $300 million per year. Poultry exports to Canada could jump by nearly 50 percent. Exports of eggs to both Canada and Mexico could skyrocket by as much as 500 percent and maybe even 1,000 percent. Very importantly, Canada will finally give fair treatment to American-grown wheat, which is a big deal to you people. What the hell do I know about it? I don't know anything about it. I just know you had a problem with it. I said to a couple of the farmers, I'd have a lot of farmers in the White House, they were incredible. I said, what's the big thing? Wheat, sir, tell me about it. And they told me about it. I'm a very quick study. I figured it out quickly. I said, I know nothing about it, but that sounds right to me. So we got it in the contract. Trump then took the opportunity to throw a jab at his Democratic foes while rallying support from the farming community. We're achieving what no administration has ever achieved before. And what do I get out of it? Tell me. I get impeached. That's what I get out of it. By these radical left lunatics, I get impeached. But that's okay. The farmers are sticking with Trump. Getting back to trade, Trump then discussed his administration's recent trade victories with various trade partners around the world. In just the past few months, we persuaded Japan to slash tariffs on $7 billion of U.S. agricultural products. Over 90% of our agricultural exports to Japan will now receive preferential treatment. Nobody thought that was possible. And in many cases, we will be completely duty-free. And you've never heard that before. It's a $40 billion deal, by the way. That's in addition to China and Canada and Mexico and South Korea. We secured guaranteed access for American beef to the EU, European Union, a deal that will nearly triple our beef exports to Europe in the coming years. And as you know, uh, Europe's had tremendous barriers to us doing business. Well, well, those barriers are coming down. They have to come down. If they don't come down, we're going to have to do things that are very uh, bad for them. We, we've been taken advantage of by everybody. Europe. Who would think Europe? Europe was in many ways more difficult and is more difficult than China. Nobody would believe that. We have secured record market access for U.S. rice in South Korea. It was a big one. We won tariff exemptions in Ecuador for wheat and soybeans. They were tariffing us out of business. We opened up Vietnam for American orange growers. We got Brazil to raise its quotas for purchases of our wheat and ethanol. We opened up Guatemala and Tunisia to American eggs. And in November, we ended China's years-long ban on American poultry. You know that very well. Years long. The crowd at the Austin Convention Center gave Trump some of the loudest applause of his speech when he touted estate tax reforms made during his term. If we harvest or herd it in the United States, I want to help you sell it all around the world to make American agriculture even more competitive, we passed the biggest tax cuts and reforms in American history by far. And to help you keep your family farm and keep it in the family, we virtually eliminated the deeply unfair estate tax or death tax. We got rid of it for small farms, ranches, and small businesses. So if you love your children, you can now leave your farms and your ranches and your small businesses to your children, and you don't have to pay tax. But think of that. You know, people were wanting to pass along their farm, and they'd pass away, and their children would take it, and then the tax people would come along, and the tax would be monumental, and the income wouldn't be so good, but the value of the farm was a lot. Then they'd go out and they'd mortgage the farm to the hilt, and within a short period of time, the, the banks are foreclosing on the farm and taking the farm and putting the farm up for sale. The president also touched on another hot-button topic of late, ethanol. I recently approved E15 to be used all year round instead of eight months. And that's a big thing for the American farmer. We're providing unprecedented support 
to ethanol support like they've never had before. We've heard much from Trump over the past few years about illegal immigration, but during the speech, the president touched on one of the American Farm Bureau Federation's key priorities, the farm labor shortage. We want them to come into our country, by the way. We want them to come in, though, through merit. We want them to come in legally, and we want them to come in so they can help the farmer, just so you understand, because I want them to be able to come in to help our farmers. And we're going to give you plenty of help. The president then waded into a discussion about his administration's repeal of the controversial 2015 Waters of the U.S. rule, which gave power to the federal government to deem portions of private land as public waterways. There are no better stewards of our precious natural resources than the American farmers who depend on the land and the environment for their very livelihood. You love your land. You're going to take care of your land. You don't need some bureaucrat in Washington telling everybody what the hell to do with your land. You love your land. I terminated one of the most ridiculous regulations of all, the last administration's disastrous Waters of the United States rule. That was a rule that basically took your property away from you. I'll never forget at the White House signing, I had probably 30, 35 people behind me, farmers and home builders and others. People that haven't cried in many years, people that weren't, some of them are so tough, they never cried, they didn't cry when they were babies, and they were crying. No, we gave them their life back. So this rule gave bureaucrats virtually unlimited authority to regulate stock tanks, drainage ditches, and isolated ponds as navigable waterways and navigable water. You believe that? Sometimes you'd have a puddle, a little puddle, and they considered that a lake. As long as I'm president, government will never micromanage America's farmers. You're going to micromanage your own farm, and that's the way it should be. And today, I'm proud to announce that I am taking yet another step to protect the water rights of American farmers and ranchers. Under the previous administration, the Army Corps of Engineers proposed a new water supply rule that would give the federal government vast and unlimited power to restrict farmers' access to water. That's not a good thing. Is anybody happy with being restricted to water if you have a farm? Please stand up if you are happy about that, because this authority rightfully belongs to the states, not the bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. That is why I'm directing the Corps of Engineers to immediately withdraw the proposed rule just submitted recently, meaning last administration, and allow states to manage their water resources based on their own needs and based on what their farmers and ranchers want. The president then went on to speak about another hot-button topic, rural broadband connectivity. Since my inauguration, we have also devoted nearly $1 billion to rural broadband, connecting a quarter of a million rural households and we're moving at a rapid pace. The USDA will soon award another $1.1 billion, and the FCC will soon vote on a plan to direct $20 billion to rural broadband. It's about time. You know, they take care of their cities, but they don't take care of you. The president then left attendees with these closing remarks. The great men and women in this room are the stewards of a inheritance and a noble tradition that's unrivaled. It's handed down from one generation to the next, all the way back to the very beginning of our country. You take pride in your work, joy in your calling, and deep satisfaction in your vital contributions to the life and health and success of our republic. America has always been a farming nation, founded, built, and grown by people just like you, who pour out their heart, soul, and sweat into this land, who wake up at the crack of dawn, who plow the soil, plant the seed, and tend the fields from the dawn to dusk, and do not rest until that job is beautifully, perfectly done. Does that sound familiar? I think so, right? It's true. That's the American farmer, rancher. You embody the spirit of optimism that has always defined this magnificent country. You look at an empty field in the dead of winter, and you envision the spark of life in the peak of spring. 
That's what you see. You see differently than other people. Farmers have always been the keepers of our great American values. You champion the love of family, the dignity of work, and the glory of God. You teach your children to celebrate our nation, defend our freedom, honor our values, and to always respect and cherish our great American flag. With your faith, your grit, your tenacity, your talent, and your patriotism, the best days for America and the best days for America's farmers and ranchers are yet to come. Following the president's speech, I had the opportunity to get some reaction from Minnesota Farm Bureau Federation President Kevin Papp, whose state organization has nearly 29,000 members. Kevin, uh, thank you for taking the time to join us here. What, what are your takeaways from the president's address here today? Well, it continues to be a big week for agriculture. We certainly had good news with China, with the phase one, good news with USMCA. We heard good news today from the president. He talked about those trade deals, and the most important is he said he wants to help us sell our products. So hopefully that means not just in the next two years, and that means not just to Canada, Mexico, um, and China, that it's a whole bunch of other countries. So we're going to continue to work and open up markets. Uh, we're so fortunate in agriculture. We grow more than we, we can need in this country. And we've got to remember, 95, 96% of the people in the world don't live in the United States. So we've got to have those markets. You know, trade is, is critical to the economic success of the American farmer. And one of the things he talked about toward the end of the speech was the repeal of waters of the U.S. Coming from the land of 10,000 lakes, how important is that to the folks up there? That was really important and really one of the things he left it to last, maybe uh, on purpose, but it was kind of getting that point, is he not going to bring it up? So really excited for him to, to talk about that. I'm coming from Minnesota where value-added biofuels is so important. Kind of wish he would have talked a little bit more about the renewable fuel standard and what are we doing with these small refinery waivers? You know, does 15 billion gallons mean 15 billion gallons? <laughs> I know a lot between the corn growers and also farm Bureau, uh, that's going to wind up becoming maybe a big issue here as we get down the stretch in the campaign this year. It is, and it's in Minnesota, it's not just ethanol, it's also biodiesel. We've got biodiesel plants, um, that's important to us, and that's a way to add value as well. So whether it's biofuels, animal agriculture, they're all important, not only to farmers, but to our rural communities. Mm -hmm. What's going to be the next step with China? Now, we, we've got a phase one deal, they're starting to talk phase two. Um, the the President Trump today mentioned that this is a very enforceable deal and that they will enforce it vigorously. How important is it going to be to stay on them to make sure that uh, this isn't just a touchy-feely deal, that this is actually going to uh, bear fruit for farmers and ranchers? Well, I think the next step for the administration is continue to negotiate, looking at phase two, continuing to do that. Quite frankly, from, from a farmer's perspective, the biggest step or the, no, the step that we want to see is beans on boats. We want to see when are we actually making sales, when are we doing that. China is a tough negotiator, and they don't always follow through, and we need them to follow through. Trade is so critical to our economic success. You know, we grow soybeans in Minnesota. You know, 60% of our beans leave the U.S., 30% to China. We've got to open those markets. And, and really what we're most concerned about in agriculture is once you lose a market, it's really hard to get it back. We want to be dependable suppliers. Mm -hmm. He also referenced uh, USMCA and the opening of dairy markets. I know that's important to your state as well as your uh, uh, neighbors to uh, the east over there in Wisconsin. Absolutely. You know, having that ac access for dairy, it's important for that. But it's not just dairy. It's also the poultry. You know, we're number one in turkeys in, in, in Minnesota. So having that access. The other thing for Minnesota is all about the wheat and the wheat grading. Being a border state, a lot of wheat going over and having that. And, and really we need to remember that, that the new NAFTA, USMCA, it was really more about trade rules than tariffs and things like that. And we made some great advancements. Biotechnology was another, you know, terrific. Not only in USMCA, but having biotechnology included in the China agreement. Well, Kevin, we sure appreciate you taking the time to join us and break all this down. And uh, uh, we'll stick with you guys and, and pay attention to how things are going as we move forward on it. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and thank you for all you do getting the word about not only ag policy, but agriculture out and get, keeping us all informed. 
while we were here at the convention, we also had the opportunity to spend some time with one of the most energetic and fascinating people in agriculture, Texas Department of Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller. He's a guy who was called out by President Trump during the speech for his efforts to expand agriculture in Texas. Miller and his staff have been busy not only touring Texas, but the world in search of opportunities to tell his state's story and bring its beef, cotton, and other agricultural products to the world. Mr. Miller, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. You bet. Uh, you just had a chance to speak to the General Assembly here of the Farm Bureau and talked about the uh, strength not only of cotton in the state, but also of uh, the uh, cattle industry. It is. It, it, it's, you know... Cattle and, and cotton are both king here in Texas. We raise more than anybody else. Cattle, uh, more than the twice as many as the second place state. So it's very important to us, and that's why that this uh, China deal is, is so important to our, to our state. Actually, the whole United States. And and so we we could actually a couple of years ago we broke the barrier. We hadn't shipped any beef into China in, in 14 years. So we I went over there. We negotiated uh, FAS help. So we got got them to agree to take it, but it's highly restricted. No beef over 30 months of age, absolutely no hormones, so it pretty much restricted what we could send. In this agreement, all of that's lifted. So now we can ship beef just like we anywhere else. And think about this. There's a billion, 400 million people in China. If we can get them to eat one quarter pound hamburger, just one hamburger, that's over 400 million pounds of U.S. beef. So this is, we've had actually back-to-back -back grand slams. You know, you heard of back-to-back -back home runs. This back-to-back -back grand slams. Not only did we get the China deal, uh, uh, phase one, and China's going to agree to buy twice as much of our agriculture commodities than they ever have, twice as much. And right on top of that, a few days later, the USMCA passed out of the Senate, headed to the, headed to the president's desk. Now our wheat farmers are going to get their wheat into Canada, so are our dairy farmers, our, our wine growers. So this is, you know, back-to-back -back grand slams. And looks like we're finally wrapping up and getting rid of all the problems with the waters of the U.S. on top of that. So, man, this has been one of the best weeks in ag culture that I can ever remember. You talked about traveling a lot. Tell us about the, uh, the job that you have here overseeing agriculture in the state and what all that entails day-to-day -day and week-to-week. Well, agriculture is big in our state. Of course, everything's big in Texas. <laughs> Who doesn't know that? But it's over a $100 billion industry. So my agency, we actually perform 130 different statutory functions for the state of Texas and the USDA. You know, I'm responsible for 5 million school meals each day. But we're also the, basically the Chamber of Commerce for the state. So I instituted a global outreach initiative. Uh, my, my first 12 months in office, we were on every continent on the globe marketing Texas agriculture, Texas agriculture products. I recently returned from India, spent 10 days there, uh, trying to broaden our markets and not so relying on China, probably a good idea. Uh, so our exports to India have gone up over 1,300%. We work Vietnam on our animal genetics. Our exports to Vietnam are up 450%. I've opened an office, uh, a Texas Department of Agriculture office in Argentina. Central and South America has been really good for animal genetics. We send a lot of bulls, heifers, semen, uh, embryos down there. So we're hustling it. And basically, uh, people like to do business with the Texan. They like, like the hat and the, and the gunfighter vest and, and the you know, South Texas draw. I love it. What was your takeaway from the trip to India? Well, unlike China, where we're going to sell them lots of beef, we had zero effort, zero success at getting them to buy any beef. Matter of fact, I found out where the term holy cow comes from. But we were successful on, on some other things like, like some lentils and peas and soybeans and, and, and some of the legumes. Uh, we're, we're expanding that in there. So it was a very successful trip. Now we hear a lot about beef and about cotton, but what are some of the other uh, products that are coming out of Texas and some of the emerging products that people should be watching out for? Well, one, one of our products that, that's known worldwide is our ruby red grapefruit. No one else has, has any grapefruit that comes close to the grapefruit that's, that's uh, produced in the Rio Grande Valley. Of course, we're, we're, we grow peanuts. We have a lot of nut crust. Pecans is a, is a big item for us. We're, I think we're the second largest pecan producer. Uh, I think we're behind New Mexico now. They've really expanded out there. Uh, you know, we, but we, we grow lots of, we lead the nation in agriculture exports. Cattle, cotton, wool, mohair, horses, hay, sheep, goats. So we're, we're a pretty diverse state. We actually have a $3 billion wine industry. The most, uh, the two emerging industries in Texas 
One is, is uh, olives, olive groves, and hemp. We're getting ready to roll out our hemp rules, and so we've got a lot of acres that are going to be planted in, in olives and industrial hemp. Commissioner Miller, thank you so much for your time, and we appreciate you joining us here on Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you, sir. Next up, we hear from American Farm Bureau Federation Vice President Scott Vanderwall. The South Dakota farmer stood in for President Duvall during many of the week's events, including updating the Farm Bureau membership on some of the latest developments in agriculture and within the organization. We had a chance to catch up with him following his opening general session address to the membership. We had uh, uh, President Zippy Duvall on the last episode of the show. We just talked about a week ago, and still uh, we, we hadn't had all the uh, ink signed on, uh, on uh, USMCA or China. I was just talking a little while ago with uh, Sid Miller, the uh, agriculture commissioner here in Texas, and, and he called it probably the single biggest week he could remember in the history of, of agriculture. Uh, from where, where you stand, how do you put that in perspective, what, what we saw this past week? Well, I, I would tend to agree with Mr. Miller about that. Uh, it's a culmination of a tremendous amount of work that's gone into this uh, whole uh, trade issue the last two years, basically since the, the trade dispute started with China. And uh, we've been told all along that there was progress being made, and then we'd hear that it fell apart and, and back and forth. And finally, this is something that's a, a lot, got more substance to it, and actually got some, something signed on paper between the president and the vice premier of China. So uh, we're certainly hopeful that this is a, a sign of a turnaround in the ag economy where we can start selling more of our products overseas again trying to get those markets back. It's going to be a long process, though. Implementation is going to be the next key to make sure we get that done. Uh, the phase two of the China agreement that the president would like to go to next uh, will be important. And, and then he said once they get that done, they'll take the tariffs off. On USMCA, that's a, uh, also a culmination of a tremendous amount of work. Uh, we've been encouraging Congress to just get that done quickly so we can move on to other things and uh, be able to, first of all, show the rest of the world that we can put a deal together with our neighbors, Mexico and Canada, but also the certainty that comes along with that, that that's there, and then we can move on to other countries. And uh, th 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 this couldn't come at a better time as, as folks are starting to prepare for plant 2020 now to, to get out in the fields. Now, now you still have some wild cards in the weather and some other factors there, but uh, how much did agriculture need this shot in the arm prior to farmers going out in the fields for another season? Well, if nothing else, it's a psychological boost right now, and we hope that psychological boost will translate into market action. So far, the market's kind of just ho-hum, uh, not really reacting to it, but it's it's learned over the last two years that, uh, that reacting either up or down to news uh, doesn't turn into much. So they're kind of, I think the markets are taking a, a show-me type of attitude. Um, so that's that's step number one. Uh, try to get, just get a more positive attitude into it. Uh, certainly, uh, 2019 is going to have a long tail, especially in my part of the world where we had so many unplanted acres. Uh, the acres we did get in got torn up when we had to harvest them in the mud. Um, so the, this, this thing isn't over with, and, and the economic uh, challenges will continue. Uh, but uh, the, the way to fix that is to sell more of our products overseas and find new markets for them. Well, Vice President uh, Vanderwell, we appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track and uh, for having us here at the convention. Thank you, sir, and appreciate you coming. Be sure to join us again next week for our second part of the series from the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention and Trade Show in Austin, Texas. My guests will include American Farm Bureau Women's Leadership Committee Chair Sherry Saylor talking about the committee's partnership with Ronald McDonald House Charities, behavioral health consultant Adrian DeSutter talking about mental health on the farm, Joe Parsons of the USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service talking about his agency's work, and AGI's Jeff Watson talking about AGI's SureTrack farm management product. Finally, this week, we take you to Hank Snow's iconic Rainbow Ranch, presented by the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway, in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. This week, we hear from Claire Dunn, a farm girl from Colorado turned country music sensation. She shared the bill with the likes of Hank Williams Jr., Jamie Johnson, Miranda Lambert, Chris Young, Keith Urban, and Bob Seeger. She's another artist we believe is poised for a breakout year in 2020. We're proud to present her interview and music to you now. Back on Fast Line Fast Track from the legendary Hank Snow Rainbow Ranch in Madison, 
Jefferson, Tennessee, and now it's my pleasure to welcome in Claire Dunn. Hello. Claire is a, uh, a native of uh, Southeast Colorado, two buttes, Colorado, population 43. <laughs> yes. They say 43 on Google. It's I think it's really down to about 30 by now, but, <laughs> but whatever. It's probably when everyone's home at Christmas. They do the, <laughs> the population. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the annual census. It's uh, very biblical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, a, a farm kid grew up on a farm and uh, have a strong ties to the farm. And that was one of the reasons uh, uh, outside of having just incredible music that, that I really wanted to have you just to uh, hear a bit about uh, what, how that life on the farm forged uh, work ethic and, mm-hmm. uh, and got you to where you are now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I owe everything uh, about my music and definitely I attribute the whole reason why I'm here. It all comes from growing up on that farm and ranch. And we had to learn growing up, we learned very early on in life that, you know, responsibility, taking care of animals, like, like every farm kid does. And it was just my sister and I, and, you know, we work just like the boys, like all farm girls do and driving tractors and trucks and working cattle and cleaning stalls and riding horses. And, you know, um, it's just a very common thing, obviously with all of us out here in ag, but I was just, uh, when I moved to Nashville, I realized how lucky I was to get to grow up like that. And that definitely, I realized then too, you know, it was very rare and a great way to grow up. And it really has carried me through everything I've done. It's taught me, you know, to be self-reliant. It's taught me uh, discipline and all of that has translated into my music. And then also, I think growing up out on, you know, in the middle of nowhere gives you so much freedom that, you know, you definitely don't have in the big cities. And that freedom really shaped my music and how I think about music. And my music is very free, but it's all a reflection of how I grew up. So anyway, I could go on for hours, but long story short, there it is. (laughs) So who were some of the people that you were listening to when you were growing up on the farm? Oh man, we listened to everything, honestly. Um, You know, most of or a lot of our childhood was spent, you know, driving tractors and we didn't have fancy tractors. We just had a radio and that was it. And we listened to whatever the radio station played. And if it was, we had like a classic rock station, we had a country station and, you know, we, for us, it was depending on what field we were working that day meant we could only tune in one of those two stations. So it was, you know, not both, but one or the other. And then sometimes you'd be heading south and you'd lose the station and you'd turn around and come back north and then you'd get it again and then you'd, you'd make your round. And so you'd have a station about every half round. Um, but so I grew up listening to a lot of Rolling Stones, Bob Seger, Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, but then also, you know, I mean, they play the classics. I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but today we're here at a cool place by a cool singer. We listen to everyone in country from George Strait to Hank Sr. to Tammy Wynette to Reba to, you know, Waylon Jennings is one of my personal mm-hmm. favorites. And, you know, and then I had a lot of other influences. I, you know, being a young teenage girl, I listened to pop and I listened to any genre. And so did my friends and I, we all were just farm kids trying to have a good time. So I think, you know, just the freedom that we had listening to all types of music has, you know, really been important too. And I wouldn't have had that had I not been raised out in ag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so how did you uh, come about a career in music? Oh man, oh, the the short version is um, I always wanted to sing. I started out singing at like six years old. Uh, I did a little hee-haw. Every year where I'm from, or, or near where I'm from in Boy City, Oklahoma, they would do a reproduction of hee-haw. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I knew all the characters in hee-haw from early age, Minnie Pearl, Grandpa Jones, all that. And they would do a reenactment, and then they would have the local cowboys and farmers who could kind of pick. They were the band, and then anyone was welcome to come up and sing if you would come to rehearsal. So my mom, I told, you know, I was singing all the time. And I, I asked her if I could do it. She said, yeah. And I sang a George Strait song, and that was it. Yeah. And anyway, long story short, I moved to Nashville 
for college, went to school, started at the ground level. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if it was the ground level. It's probably below ground. <laughs> <laughs> and then got some publishing deals and started writing songs and hit the road and voila. <laughs> now, now did, you, did you go to Belmont? Is that where you were at? I did. Uh, I went to Belmont and uh, graduated from there. Okay, super. And you told me that uh, you, you spent some time working at the Opry as well. I did. Uh, that was one of my three or four jobs, you know, I had during school and, uh, I loved working at the Opry. It was one of my favorite things I've ever gotten to do. And I love history and I love the history of country music and where we all come from Mm -hmm. as a music genre. And I got to learn so much at the Opry and it's just such a cool family. What were some of the things that you took away from watching other really good performers, uh, step into that circle? Yeah. Well, the thing that I always loved so much about everyone who played on the Opry was just the humility for the the family that they were getting to be a part of mm-hmm. and the reverence that the Opry has to all of the people who perform there, you know, especially the members. And I love, you know, how country music, we and especially people at the Opry, they respect where country music comes from. doesn't mean we all can't be exactly who we are and we can't make our own style of country music, but I, I believe, I'm a big believer in honoring those who have come before you, and that's one of the biggest things I learned at the Opry and I, I really carry with me today. So tell me about your first experience actually uh, re- going into the recording studio and uh, re- recording music. Oh, uh, gosh. Well, you know, it's a mixed bag. I, I didn't really, my first real experiences were kind of probably recording my own music in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then, so I was doing that for a couple years in college. And then when I got to really go in a studio session, uh, that was a couple years later. And I just remember being scared to death, but so excited, you know, and I didn't want to say the wrong thing. I didn't want to ask a dumb question. And I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could about everything going on. And it was so many emotions, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's one of my favorite places to be to this day. That's, that's so exciting, and, and the music that you've turned out is uh, has been excellent. You've gotten to work with some excellent people as well. Thank you. Yes, I am so honored. I've gotten to work with some fantastic songwriters, uh, Terry McBride, who wrote a bunch of Brooks and Dunn songs. Y'all know, um, you know, some of my other favorites, Liz Rose. Oh, I, yeah. You guys know a lot of her songs, Kenny Chesney and Tim McGraw and Taylor Swift and. Uh, you know, Hillary Lindsay and, um, gosh, I know I'm leaving like 4,000 people out yeah. right now. Eric Pasley, we'll there, throw him yes. in there. Oh my gosh, Eric Pasley. Oh, he's such a dear friend and such an amazing songwriter. Um, the, the community here, everyone supporting each other, especially in the songwriting community, uh, has really been the, you know, so important for me. And, I, I really appreciate it. You know, everyone just sort of welcoming this farm kid with open, open arms. <laughs> uh, and you must have been doing something right. Uh, you, you've gotten to go out on the road with Keith Urban, Miranda Lambert, uh, Chris Young, Luke Bryan, and uh, handpicked by Bob Seger to go out on tour. Man, how crazy is that? Yeah, oh, man. That was that was quite a deal. Um, that The Bob Seger tour was a, kind of a crazy story how that all came about. We got offered one gig. And they were like, okay, this is all you get. This is just, you know, you get one show and, and that's it. And I was like, okay, amazing life. My life is made at this point. And we drove up to Saginaw, Michigan in the November, you know, in a van with snow on, you know, four or five inches of snow, no four wheel drive Mm -hmm. trailer. And I was like, oh my God, we're just going to die. And, (laughs) um, we played one show with him and he came out and watched a sound check and then later came and watched our show that night. And as soon as I walked off stage, we had an invitation to come play the rest of the tour with him. So he was just amazing. And I learned so much from him. And that was just one of the you know most incredible times of my life. So what's on the horizon uh, for 2020 and beyond? Oh, man. Well, we are just, you know, so excited about some new music we've got coming out. I'm in the studio right now uh, recording more. I have a studio in my house, and 
I sit around and just make music all day. And uh, so we're really excited about the new music coming out. We have two songs we just released in October, which all my music you can get. Um, you can stream it, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, however you know you listen to music, you can call your local station and request it. But we have two songs that just came out called Money's All Gone and Gold to Glitter. And they're both about life on the farm growing up. And uh, then we're touring this year in 2020. And we're just really excited to get this new stuff out and take it to the people on the road. I love so. it. <laughs> I love it. So uh, going over your bio, so some really cool stuff that stood out to me. You uh, uh, got to spend some time uh, studying with Jan- Janet Jackson's backup dancers <laughs> in California. Yes. How does a farm girl from Colorado get to do that? Well, oh, man, long story. So... Uh, before I was like in kindergarten, I was just dancing around the house all the time and begging my mom to turn on music and I'd go dance. And so when I was in kindergarten, she just was like, Hey, do you want to go try some dance lessons? And I was like, sure. And I still remember to this day, my first one, I remember the room. I remember where I was and I'm in kindergarten and I just, I loved it and I was hooked. So anyway, I was lucky. The studio was about an hour away from the farm, and we were real lucky that a woman, a very nice lady from Oklahoma City had moved. She had married a man from back home, and she'd moved to Lamar, Colorado, and she'd opened up this studio, and, you know, she may as well have been like a unicorn, you know, (laughs) where we're from. And so I was up there every chance I could get. You know, I couldn't go to the studio um, during the week, but you know, cause we were in school and helping on the farm, but I'd go up there all through high school and I danced and we'd go do competitions and I danced everything from ballet, tap and jazz. And then I got in hip hop dancing and then that's where the Janet Jackson thing happened. And, um, I got, I won a contest that her dancers had put on and it was just really cool. I didn't actually get to go to LA, but, um, the opportunity was just so amazing. And to have gotten chosen was just, you know, wild. (laughs) So so you went from that to coming home on uh, college breaks and uh, driving a silage truck. Yes. Oh man. It is so difficult to explain what silage is to city folk. Mm -hmm. Like nothing against it, but they're like, a what truck? (laughs) Like, what is that? So it's nice to not have to explain it here, but yep. I would go home and, uh, my parents, the farm had a silage truck and I would go drive it. You know, we, we're just simple farmers and ranchers and Belmont university was not in the tuition we could afford. (laughs) So, but being like everyone in agriculture today, my, my folks are resilient and they're resourceful Mm -hmm. and, you know, (laughs) I think any farmer or rancher would tell you, don't let a little thing like money get in the way of your dreams. Exactly. So I racked up a bunch of school debt and then that truck was really what, you know, it was literally the driving force that helped me go to school and it, it was hot and terrible and no AC and you know, a fan and sticking your head out the window, uh, in 112 degrees. But I was so grateful to get to do that. And, and then even like, if I couldn't go drive, my parents or my sister would go drive for me. Like if I had tests or finals and harvest was going on and school was still going on, it was, uh, it was definitely a team effort. And, uh, that's one other way where ag helped me you know, to be in music. Mm-hmm. Old silage truck. That sounds like your next single. <laughs> I know. We still have it. They named it Smiley. It had a pull <laughs> chain. It was a it was a cab over Kenworth oh, uh, tandem, and it had a, a pull chain on the front of it that draped down, and it looked like the truck was smiling all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that thing always, I mean, you just touched it with, you know, any silage. Like, you could throw a handful of silage in there, and that thing would sink. So the tractors were always pulling me around the field. <laughs> That's hilarious. Now, do you, is your family still farming? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. They're still farming, and uh, we have a commercial beef herd, oh, nice. and uh, they still are very active and <clears throat> still going gangbusters, and my sister is actually in uh, ag lending. 
She uh, she works for FSA down in Oklahoma, and you know, so I'm kind of the the wild child that's not in ag, but I go home and and help out as much as I can, and I'm still involved on the farm back home. But um, you know, they're all just st- sticking after it and surviving droughts. <laughs> How many generations is it for for your family farm now? Oh man, uh, well, as far as I know. Pretty much, uh, you know, I, I think we're only here for four or five generations, my family, you know, and I think in some form or fashion since we've got here, it was farming and ranching. I had a great grandpa, I think, that rode for the Pony Express. Oh, cool. And then it really started with my, my other great grandpa. He was in farming and a cowboy and a day cowboy and all that. So, um, and then my grandparents were farmers, you know, so... <laughs> Somewhere in there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I tell you what, if folks want to know more about your music and follow your career, where can they go to, to make sure they check that out? Absolutely. Well, the best way uh, to keep in touch with me is on social media. You can check me out on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat, and it's all the same. It's at Claire Dunn Music, C-L-A-R-E-D-U-N-N Music, no I and Claire. So check me out, Claire Dunn Music, and you'll have all my latest day-to-days. And <laughs> Make sure you check that out. And we're going to be in the process of updating our our Spotify playlist. So we'll get some of her music on there as well. So so you can go check that out along with the other artists on there. We've got about uh, over 200 songs now of uh, past, current, and upcoming guests of the show that are going to be on there. So we'll get some of Claire's music on there as well. But uh, make sure you go download it, buy it, put some money in her pocket, keep that career going. So uh, so she doesn't have to go back to the silage truck anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a good farmer. I, I did not plant a straight corn row. <laughs> and I didn't have GPS either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, uh, you don't have to do a lot of guesswork anymore. <laughs> there you go. For the yeah, most part. That's right. Well, Claire, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line, Fast Track. And oh, absolutely. Thank you for having so me. So great to hear your story. And uh, you're welcome to come back anytime and, and share your music and uh, we love everything you stand for and uh, being a voice for agriculture and uh, oh. for for great country music. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. It's an honor to get to talk ag, and I don't get to do it that often in country music, which is sad. So It is, but we're, 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 we're going to change that. That's and, right. Uh, we're going to get her mic'd up here and let you hear the sounds of Claire Dunn. Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm Claire Dunn, and this is my song called Tuxedo. <clears throat> i 
y'all. I'm Claire Dunn, and this is a brand, brand, brand new song I just wrote a little bit ago called Cold Beer Problems. What's up, y'all? I'm Claire Dunn, and this is my song called Old Hat. It's sun-kissed and it's sweat-stained It's too big and it's right 
the amazing music of Claire Dunn. Y'all be sure to go check her out at ClaireDunn.com and support her career, including her new singles, Gold to Glitter and Money's All Gone. Well, the National Farm Machinery Show is drawing closer. I hope you'll be able to join us in Louisville, Kentucky, February 12th through the 15th. Come join us for show tapings each day at the Fast Line booth, number 8881 in the south wing of the Kentucky Exposition Center. If you can't make it to the show and you're in the market for farm equipment, be sure you make your first stop, FastLine.com. Check out the equipment locator with the price compared tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Are you following Fastline Fast Track on social media yet? Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and add our Spotify playlist to your library to hear music from past, current, and upcoming guests of the show. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Next week, we'll have the second part of our coverage here from Austin, Texas, for the 101st Annual American Farm Bureau Federation Convention and Trade Show. We'll also have the music of traditional country music star Paul Bogart live from Hank Snow's iconic Rainbow Ranch in Madison, Tennessee. Until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, Drop us a line at brent.adams at fastline.com. Something like that.